It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Broadcasting live from Florida's capital city, this is the Jeff Cameron Show, brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness on Real Talk 93.3. Now, stop what you're doing and listen closely. It's time for the Jeff Cameron Show in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Jeff Cameron Show 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. Happy Redemption Thursday, everybody. I'm Jeff. Tom is here along with me. We are not live. If you're just tuning in, this was recorded a little bit earlier, just before the start of the show. Construction being done here at the studios. In addition, Leon County gave the schools the day off, so parents like myself are scrambling. Kids are at home, all that good stuff. We decided to... uh, Hey, we can't miss Redemption Thursday, can't miss Libations Friday. It's a game week. We're still going to do shows, but we're probably going to have to do the two days, this one and tomorrow's show, like we are currently. And I'm obligated to tell you that we're not live. So that's the situation. We're not, but we're with you now. And Redemption Thursday wagers have been given. Let's uh, bring them back up. I've got the sheet right here. Let's get this back out there. I took our beloved Knowles. I laid... uh, there is, yeah, there it is minus seven. I see you fixed it. Did you have a? Did you have one that said seven and a half? I, well, no, it was last week's slate, you know, and uh, that, was, that was a very good slate because it led with Florida State on your side of the ledger against Miami. So we reflected on it for about three seconds and we moved. Uh, yeah, it was a good slate. Uh, I had a winning week last week. Let's try to keep it going. That's uh, two weeks in a row, three weeks in a row, something like that. So we're doing, we're doing better. We're, we're finding our footing here this late in the year. That's the way it ought to be, by the way. Uh, Florida State minus seven against Syracuse. Let's hope I'm right about that. I also took uh, FSU team total over 29 and a half. So if you're wondering what FSU TT over is, that is team total 29 and a half. Uh, you can't you can't keep this offense out of the 30s. Uh, who do you think you are, Syracuse? You're not keeping this offense out of the 30s. You may be lucky to keep it out of the 40s. Michigan minus uh, 30 and a half against Nebraska. This is a wounded animal in the form of Nebraska and not the good kind that fights for its life. They have uh, a starting quarterback problem in that he's injured and the backup is Chubba Purdy and he's not any good still. And so it looks like they may be down to their third string quarterback. They're uh, one of their leading tacklers, second leading tackler on the season. The guy that's played the most defensive snaps has been suspended for this game due to a DUI after last Saturday's loss to Minnesota. Just couldn't take it. Went out drinking, got popped. 
he's not going to play. Uh, so it all adds up to a road trip to Ann Arbor that is uh, seeing the Cornhuskers as the sacrificial lamb. Pitt minus four and a half against Virginia. I don't believe in Virginia. They suck. Georgia Tech and a pick them against Miami. I don't believe in Miami. They suck. Appalachian State minus one against Marshall. Go ahead, Tom, if you would. <laughs> That'll be fun. That'll be fun. South Carolina plus eight against Florida. I just don't trust Florida's defense. I think South Carolina will hang around. I don't think they'll win, but they'll be in it. And uh, Kansas plus three and a half. Just love what Lance Leipold has done there. Wake Forest minus three and a half against North Carolina. This is the weekend where Tom gets to celebrate a North Carolina loss. It's going to happen for you, Tommy. I know how much you love it when they falter. They, uh, the fraudulent goats are amongst us if you're watching online. But, hey, listen, North Carolina, for all their ugliness, finds a way to win a lot of games. That way is the offense because May is a really good quarterback, probably the best in the ACC. But I don't think they'll get stops, and I'll take Wake and lay the three and a half. They're at home. South Alabama tonight minus 16 and a half against Texas State. <laughs> Antonio Banderas loves this pick. <laughs> they couldn't have known it at the time that they made that movie, that terrible movie. Isn't that Assassins? Um, I, I think it is. It's, it's, it's awful. But they couldn't have known it at the time that they were going to make what amounts to a perfect GIF. I mean, it really is. I mean, because the modern era, everybody's looking at a computer and get garnering information. So to have that and the ability to see him fall back the way that many of us have upon learning something that is joyous, it's perfect. So uh, is he a good actor, Antonio Banderas? He has been before, but he's also, you know, chosen to be in a lot of terrible films for the money. So he's, would you, he's would not. You maybe equate him to Stallone? Like where where would you put him in the pantheon of capable to be good, but then also just straight to DVD quality? So Antonio Banderas has been really good in a couple of films, like Oscar-worthy recognition good in a couple of films. You would be right to say about Sylvester Stallone, if people haven't seen Copland, he's awesome in Copland. Like really good. Um so yeah, there that is in him. He's really good in Rocky, obviously. He, 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 that's yep. He wrote it. Um, and then in so, Creed, I get that Creed is a spinoff, but he's playing a very different character. A broken man. Yeah. A worn out, washed up old man. Yeah. No, he's good in that. Um, so it's in there, right? You've seen him be good. It, it can happen. He, there's a range of character that you don't normally see from him that he shows in those moments. I would put Banderas at a, a higher plane of acting, but Banderas chose the money and, uh, you know, terrible films after he had established himself and just decided to, to cash it in. I mean, he appeared in one of the expendables, so I don't know, maybe Stallone has an edge over him. Uh, Stallone yeah. bought him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, look, I, you don't have to really try hard. Just be in these stupid movies that people look how many of these stupid racing car movies that everybody goes and sees. Oh. I mean, fast car 26 will be coming out any day now. Yeah. The first fast and the furious came out when I was in middle school. I'm old now. That's, 20 odd years ago. You know, I've never seen all of a Fast and the Furious. I've seen, I, maybe I saw the first one. Somehow like on cable, you know, flip it around and it's on. You're like, oh, all right, I'll, I'll watch some of this. But I don't think, I mean, I didn't, I don't understand the allure. I don't yeah. know how many times you have to watch a car slide, um, you know, or drift as the kids say, but I, I don't know. I don't get it. Well, it was marketed towards our age. 2001 was when that first movie came out. R.I.P. Paul Walker. Uh, 
That was <laughs> devastating loss to the acting community. <laughs> to my generation, it was. People are like, oh, no, not Paul Walker. Um, I mean, the movie is. By the way, Paul did not die a good death. If you if you read about how Paul died, that ain't good. He was still alive when that car caught fire. Oh, really? Ooh, mm. I did not know mm. that. That's a toughie. Well, I won't reflect on that as much as uh, <laughs> going to the movie theater, the AMC and Olds Bar in 2001 with some of my buddies. It was an adrenaline movie for teenagers. But also what they're finding out now in Hollywood is that my generation loves nostalgia more than any other generation. So if you could just keep on cranking out the same content, with older versions of the people and retell the stories, we're going to buy it up like crazy. If you want to do a movie like that, you need to do like gone in 60 seconds um, because that's a better version of it. Uh, But enough about actors onward. We go. Uh, That's a fun show. (laughs) The range of bad acting actors and where they fit. Yeah. Yeah. Is there an ounce of talent in there or did they just get lucky and now they're a marketable brand or, you know, Every now and then, you get surprised. Well, I mean, you mentioned Gone in 60 Seconds. That's Nick Cage. I mean, he's got some good in there, but he's got some, I mean, tremendous. Hey, he won the Academy Award for Best Actor in Leaving Las Vegas. Yeah, he, he, he's yeah. got good in there, and then he's got a whole bunch of awful. <laughs> That's kind of fun. Different show, different podcast. We'll do it another day. Yeah, we'll go through all those guys. That's true of a lot of guys. Anyhow. I like to believe that you do something long enough, you gain a tacit understanding of how to do it. So you might accidentally fall into being a good actor after 20 years of not being able to act at all. Uh, all right. So it is. The slate, the games, they've been chosen. You saw them. Favorite pick of that? You still owe me a tall boy. Uh, I do. My, not my favorite pick, but the most intriguing pick uh, to play the role of Poppy for a minute. CC, very intrigued by the South Carolina plus eight. I find that really interesting given that, I mean, even if Anthony Richardson does not want to run and maybe he wants to work on throwing the ball downfield and turning down the ability to just truck people, they're physical. That's the Florida is, is squarely on my radar now about how physically they want to run the football. You can see what Napier is trying to instill. And when you're playing a team like South Carolina, as simple as best, you're just better than them. So that, in a way, I would figure that the game plan would look something like what we just did to Miami, not in terms of score disparity, but in terms of approach, which is just bludgeon, bludgeon, bludgeon. And I don't think South Carolina's got much for that. So the plus eight's interesting to me. I know you think it's a backdoor, but I'm going to watch that one closely. Well, I just I, I think they'll be able to score because everybody does against Florida's defense. So that, that's all that is. Um, it's not that I think they win the game, but you've got to be careful if you're Florida. I think, by the way, We've reached the time of the year, and I find all this interesting, we all do, where you're going to look around the country at the jobs that are available. You're going to look around the country at, um, you know, so I saw where Adam Rittenberg, who does a good job for ESPN, I've interviewed him before, wrote a piece, by the way, and he noted that, look, the coaching carousel started earlier this year than ever before, um, entering the fall, four power five jobs, jobs were highlighted, Arizona State. Auburn, Georgia Tech, and Nebraska. All four of those are vacant now. Obviously, the group of five had several tenuous situations. That included Jeff Scott at USF, which, by the way, isn't that fascinating? You can make an argument that is pro-Dabo when you look at his assistants and the failures (laughs) that are taking place from all of them, right? Let's say you look at Virginia, look at South Florida. Been a shaky year at Oklahoma with Venables, right? And you're seeing these guys struggle, and you're like, well, maybe 
the devil's got a little something to him. Who knows? But moreover, I think they're broken too. So all of a sudden you can't do that because Clemson's got good players. They shouldn't look like this. Well, that might just be, and we've had this discussion a lot since the beginning of the FM dial days. Are you mm-hmm. a coordinator or are you a head coach? And they might've just had a lot of coordinators and, and stone cold recruiters. But I mean, in order to be a successful head coach, you've got to handle so much more than just diagramming plays and putting together a plan. There is an organization that you have to run. And Dabo has a lot of people hoodwinked and they believe in him. So that's why they play hard for him. This is uh, an important conversation and it's an interesting one. And, and we, we might as well just jump right into it. So not every situation makes it so painfully obvious that you need to move on, right? Jeff Scott's situation became very obvious. They lost 54 to 28 to Temple, Tom. Uh, Temple hadn't scored over 20 points in a game in like six weeks, and they scored 54 on USF. So that, that was sort of like, I think they've quit, everybody. I think they've quit. And so they fired him. You know, he didn't win games, and he's getting blown out by Temple. Pretty easy, straightforward Michael Kelly move. Got to fire my coach at this point, right? A lot of places it's a little bit more nuanced than that. But where we're headed with the money. In my lifetime, this is going to be perhaps one of the biggest changes to the sport. If you look at the Big Ten and you look at the SEC and you look at the annual payouts and where that's headed and the expanded playoff, the days of a guy who is an expert as a coordinator, the days of a guy that is just an elite offensive coordinator, an elite defensive coordinator, getting head jobs based around that coaching acumen, that prowess, I think are going the way of the dodo. You need those people, but you need them because you're a CEO. You are now running massive businesses. You are now running huge conglomerates. That's what college football is. It is no longer the folksy Southern, you know, pockets of the Midwest and a couple other places where, the aw shucks guy goes into the living room and wins over a recruit and does a really good job and, you know, maybe makes 200 grand a year. We are so far removed from that now. Now, there are billions of dollars on the line. You've got teams bringing in $100 million. You've got coaches who are asking for millions of dollars in NIL money, if we're being honest, to be able to fund the machine. You have got to be a corporate titan. You have got to basically be a CEO. You don't have enough time to get down in the weeds and coach play-to-play, down-to-down, day-to-day. You've got a lot of hands to shake, a lot of speeches to give, a lot of travel, a lot of conversations on the phone or some sort of teleconference. You have all of these things that you're doing on the regular. A lot of coaches fail because they're not good at that stuff. They know the football. We know they know the football. They just fail in all the other aspects of putting together an organization. And so I think that teams like Nebraska and others, when they're searching for coaches, have to be looking at guys that are really good CEOs. I used to never want a CEO coach. I didn't believe in it. One of the things that bothered me towards the end of Bowden's tenure, obviously, was that he didn't coach that he was just a CEO. And when we would lose to say Steve Spurrier, who was calling every single play and was in charge of every aspect of that offense, I would be jealous, not of the personality. Of course we would side with Bowden there, but I was jealous that I had a hands-on young coach who was calling plays, who was getting down in it, you know, who, who understood play to play what was happening. We were moving away from that. We're moving away from that. So where does that take us? Okay. Well, here's where it takes us. 
we've got a coach who is a down-to-down play caller. we got a coach who is young, vibrant, on-the-ground, hands-on. And we love that about him. But I do believe the future of coaching is going away from guys like Mike Norvell. Now, we're going to have to watch Mike build an organization and become really good at all that other stuff. And that's fascinating because that other stuff is what adds up to good recruiting. Yeah, I agree. The one thing I'd say about him and, and organization structure is if you and I'll, I'll pull it up here. I mean, you're looking at some of the titles of the people that are here on the list. And this is the, the coaching staff for Mike and, and everybody else. But you scroll down and you talk about an organization. You've got two directors of scouting, right? You've got any number of analysts, which is normal for college football and play calling and such. But you've got an associate athletics director for football in Bruce Warwick, who was also the general manager of the program when he was first brought on at Florida mm-hmm. State. You've got a general manager of personnel in Derek Ray. You've got a director of player development and operations, a director of player personnel, high school relations director, recruiting operations director, player relations, football relations, assistant director of high school relations. I mean, director of recruiting, you a creative media director. This is an organization. Mike Norvell has made a lot of these hires and a lot of these job titles that you're looking at here are specific to Mike Norvell in the history of Florida State football. We haven't had an operation like this. When Bruce Warwick was brought in and he had NFL pedigree, helped move the Rams from St. Louis to L.A. in the dead of night in what was a black eye for that particular ownership group, he had to execute the orders from above that were going to take a massive PR hit That type of experience is not typically something you associate with a college football organization. You think you need some scouting guys, you need some GAs, people who can look at tape, maybe a social media director, and some dude who could just stare at the portal and hit refresh all day long. And that's about it. Yeah. But from an operational standpoint behind the scenes, Mike Norvell is building redundancies and he's building all kinds of those little uh, the charts you see about who reports to whom. There are wings of this enterprise that haven't existed before, even with Jimbo, who had a lot of complexity to how he wanted to run things. He was still going to micromanage over all of these areas. I would say that the last piece to the puzzle for Mike Norvell is being a badass in recruiting. Everything else, play calling, install, culture, leading the team, uh, micromanaging their days and scheduling out a routine for all your players, all that stuff. And then the behind the scenes of the operation, he's got all that down, but you've got to empower people, bring in better people behind the scenes and also on the field to be able to recruit and close deals. Everything else though, he's ready to be modern. You just got to get better in recruiting. It's fascinating though, because I do think we're going to watch the bumps and the bruises and the, and the hiccups along the way. We've already seen it some because he's such a young coach. And I think areas, almost by definition, when you have that much on your plate, certain areas are going to suffer if you're a day-to-day play caller, organizer of game plans. and all, Certain aspects are going to suffer. Uh, it doesn't mean that right now he's not doing a good job. He's doing a very good job. And you're right to point out those things because I think – it does show that he understands the larger, the bigger picture that I'm talking about, which is what these things are now becoming, these, these, these giant companies, for lack of a better term, right? And I do think that Mike will be kind of a hybrid in that sense. Uh, there are those guys out there who have shown they're capable of it. It almost reminds me a little bit of these NFL coaches that have put themselves in a bind 
have put themselves, you know, they're, they're in a pickle. Um, if, if you think about guys that end up taking jobs out of college because they had success and they and they get an NFL job and then they want to be the, they want to be the GM, so they they're they're the coach, they're the GM, they want to deal with the salary cap, they want to do all that stuff, right? Those coaches oftentimes get fired. They end up. Uh, Matt Rule just had it happen. I mean, you, you, these are guys that all think they can be everything because as Bill Parcells said many moons ago, oh, look, they want you to come coach, but they won't let you shop for the groceries. Remember all that? Okay. But he got fired because that didn't work out because they were telling him no. They were saying, look, man, you have too many other things you have to do. Yes, you'll have input, but let our scouting directors do this. Let our Football personnel people do this. They're paid professionals for a reason. It's what they do. We'll get you the players. You go coach them. But he didn't want that. He wanted everything. He wanted to be able to choose accordingly. And it's just fascinating. We're going to watch Mike mature along the way. We've already seen some moments where his youth got him, you know, and, and, and he made some mistakes, some immaturity there, whether it's play calling or reactions to games or whatever it might be. Um, I like that he is such a good play caller. I like that he is such a good game planner, he and Alex. I just wonder if along the way, as this organization gets bigger and bigger and bigger, how does he morph? What changes with how he does things? I don't know that it will. I, he, he would tell you, I'm sure, I'm always going to be hands-on. Well, it's easy to say that when you're 40, early 40s and you have the energy and you're, you know, you're still molding the organization to get to where you want to go. You have to be a micromanager to some extent. You have to do all those things. But let's say this thing gets rolling the way that we want it to, which is that it's annually pricked pick top 10. Uh, it's got, uh, you know, elite level players at every position. You're competing to go to the college football playoff every year. At some point when the machine gets to that level and you've got to continue to feed the beast, can you be a micromanager? I don't know. I mean, Mike's done a really good job so far, uh, as you said, of delegating and identifying. The number one thing he's got going in his favor that we should all be excited about as we watch this take place over time, he's really got an eye for talent in the coaching ranks. We both know that, and, and we've talked about that. His track record proves that. When he identifies coaches most of the time as guys that he wants to bring in, those are guys that he's scouted himself thoroughly and been impressed by, and those guys go on to bigger and better jobs. Well, and he's got an eye for talent in the transfer portal too. You know, they, they find fits and not everybody is going to be a home run. You know, uh, Malik Feaster is another guy who came in late this year. We haven't seen in the rotation, but they knew they needed help at defensive back. So they wanted to take a shot with him. Some guys are going to be like that, that they're just not immediate plug and play guys, or maybe they never materialize, but they fit in the culture of the locker room. And by and large, the bulk of them have been major contributors. We've talked about this a bunch this week. But the transfer portal had its fingerprints all over the win over Miami. Everywhere you look, when somebody was making a big play, transfer portal kids yeah. came into play. They were the significant reason. Trey Benson is an embodiment of what you can get in the portal if you take a calculated risk with a culture fit. And this is the payoff for that. Fabian Lovett was a guy. Your two guards, Jamie Robinson, Tatum Bethune. I mean, the list goes on and on. Jordan Travis, even though that wasn't Mike's guy. But Coach Norvello has been very good with the transfer portal. He's been very good with the delegation, the hierarchies. And I will say this, too. As he was rebuilding this program from a place that was worse off than when Coach Fisher took over years and years ago, remember the look in Jimbo's eyes, you know, in 2011 and 2012? That damn near killed him, mm -hmm. the rebuild of the program. Mike has never looked beleaguered. He, looks, he doesn't look overwhelmed at any point. 
He just looks youthful on the field at times. But there were times when Jimbo was trying to rebuild this thing. You thought, my God, is he going to yeah. get out of here? Well, he wasn't, he wasn't sleeping. And then, you know, I think the other part about that, and we don't want to go down this road, but, you know, there were, there were problems at home. So you got, you know, that situation, I think, kind of compounded the problem of having to micromanage. And then you, you didn't really have an oasis, right? You know, you didn't have a place to go, your safe place. Right. Um, and, and I mean, this is before the medical issues for his son, though, too. I, I'm just saying that, you know. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, no, I'm saying, but I'm. I know yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, yes. yeah. I, I um, yeah. yeah. And so I, Mike has done a very good. Listen, one thing's for sure. And we love uh, our guy at Arkansas, right? But the bottom line is, I do think if you're going to be this thing now, a big time college football coach in a power five conference, especially a money conference, like if we could ever get the hell out of the ACC, you have to be as disciplined as anybody in any walk of life in any field. You're going to have to get up every morning, but a clock, work yep. out, eat right, get to bed on time. You, everything's got to be calculated every second of it. And he is hellbent on time and organization. And Tom, what's the first thing we learned about that guy was he respects your time because he desperately wants you to respect his. And there is not going to be any nonsense. I'm five minutes late. I'll roll on in here and we'll do this interview whenever. Oh, hell no. There is none of this. And it's almost annoying, I'm sure, for the people in the organization because we laugh at it from a distance. I mean, every time we go over there to the uh, to, to the more athletic center, it's hilarious to listen to him tell everybody, starting in two minutes. You know, it's all of that, right? Because he knows every minute of his day is accounted for. And we don't, and you're going to have to be that. Well, we've come back to it several times this week, and I think it's the theme for the next month. Is all right. We love the the progress, and we're not going to poo poo that because we were hoping for eight and four, nine and three. This is this is the step you're looking for. Now pay it off in the recruiting world. What's next? That's the well thing. Yeah, we can talk about that in a second. Jeff Cambridge, ninety three three Real Talk Radio, War Chant, Passion, Drive, and Patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time time or your money back guaranteed because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply tv the cameron show is a production of the warchant.com multimedia network check out warchant.com today for the latest news inside florida state athletics that's warchant.com now back to jeff on real talk Thursday, Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Now we're joined by our partners at ISF. It is time to solve for the future. We kind of were just doing it. 
I'm sorry, ISF. I do this all the time. You guys are great. I know you're always here for us, but we start solving for the future of the segment before the solving for the future segment every freaking week. I don't know why we do that. We're not we're not doing the right thing. We're we're not uh, paying attention to the to the calm. Right. Last week we talked about critical, consistent, accountable, listening, managing the game, all this sort of stuff, buddy. We didn't manage this properly. We should have managed this better. I, I lost out on the M. I screwed it up. ISF doesn't screw up. They're collaborative. They work with their customers that way. It's an IT strategy firm. You know that. They work with state government, business clients across the country. Just because they're in Tallahassee doesn't mean they don't help people all over this nation. They do indeed. Over 80 unique clients on over 1,500 projects. They've been really, really good, and they want to help you with your visions, your goals for the future, and they know that your agency wants that too. So they come, collaborate, help, speed up the processes, if you will. They make it more efficient. Uh, we were just kind of talking about it. I think we should just extend the conversation in, in solving for the future. The recruiting, you brought it up at the tail end there. This is the new area of angst that turns that needs to turn to strength. We've seen now the football field. They have found a way. They've been consistent. They've been accountable. They've listened to their players. They've done the things they've needed to do. Those players have listened to their coaches. They've all gotten to where we now trust the organization is moving in the right direction. But once you start showing signs that you can be good to very good, obviously everybody's striving towards perfection. You'll never reach it, but along the way, as they say, you might find excellence. And that taking that next step truly is – not just about putting kids in a position position to succeed, but by putting really talented kids in a position to succeed so that you don't have games like we had against NC State or games like we had against Wake Forest where obviously you get exploited in certain areas. You, you want to get to a place where your talent is such that that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen frequently. It happens very, very rarely. You want to get back to what we were in 2014, which was a team that never played well and won every single game but one. You know, that's that's what talent can do for you. And there are question marks. There are question marks about the recruiting prowess of this staff. And yeah. I think they're fair questions. Yeah, I'd say it's the high school recruiting. That's the. It's about finishing and high school recruiting. They're good in the portal. They're really good, and, and we've talked about that at nauseum. But it's about finishing the job with the high school recruits. And, and what you've got to do in order to create a better case for yourself, few things, but you have to take away the ability for your rivals to negative recruit you. And how do you do that? You win. Winning, winning first of all. Um, putting explosiveness on film, you know, in your own uniforms for kids to see. Uh, these two things solve a lot of problems for you in terms of a player envisioning themselves playing for you and also going on and making money at the next level because that's what you're selling here. But then the other thing is that you got to make sure that your current players that are already here are going to give positive reviews for your program. The culture is healthy enough that when a kid comes in for an official visit or an unofficial pop-in, that if they see any of the current players maybe somebody they played against a year before in the same county, and they ask them, hey, what's going on? They say good and positive things about you. So the thing that's happened in the last month, especially last weekend, is now you fortify the argument for stability. No longer can you be negative recruited against saying that Mike Norvell is not going to be there by the time you graduate. Correct. Correct. That's gone. You have increased in the last two months 
offensive game film, and it's gone to a place that if I'm a wide receiver or a running back, I want to come play at Florida State. I already did as an offensive lineman, uh, oddly enough. But now running backs can say for sure two straight years of explosiveness. Yeah, I want to go play for that guy. Wide receivers for the first time in forever can say, I want to go play for that guy. Quarterbacks now can look at this system at Florida State and say, look at what they did in developing Jordan Travis. Yeah. I want to go play for that guy now. So you are mowing down the things that guys can negatively recruit against you for. Billy Napier can't say those things. Uh, Cristobal or even up there at Clemson with Dabo, they can't say some of the things that they have been the last few years. The question is, is there enough time between now and this December in order to make this recruiting class different and better? Or well, is it only going to be about 2024 and you've got to dip into the transfer portal again? It's not that this recruiting class is bad. The top line guys at each position you have are good, but it's not as deep as it's going to be or it needs to be if you're going to be a consistently a top 10 football. Team. The frustration surrounding that though, Tom, is that the evidence of all of the things that we now know to be true was on display when the first four weeks of the season, when they were four and oh, and they beat LSU. And those were the four most important games because of the early recruiting period that we're now in where kids have to make a decision that's sped up. We said, if you're going to lose a game, make it after these first four weeks or so, you know, go ahead and stumble somewhere else along the way, try to get that win on prime time with the country watching against LSU. Make sure you get that done. Right. Take care of business in the high-profile games. That road Louisville game turned out to be huge, right? All those things, right? But they didn't really cash it in. And so I think we're going to be worried about this some. Uh, they don't have a bunch of dynamic recruiters. Alex Atkins is their best recruiter. Mike Norvell is pretty good, obviously, in terms of you know connecting to kids. They don't have a lot of good recruiters outside of that. They really don't. And Florida State currently, depending on where you want to look, 17th, 18th, somewhere in that ballpark area. But they're behind programs like South Carolina. That can't happen. South Carolina can't happen. You can't, you know, you, you can't be behind Miami. Miami's selling new car smell. I got it. But, I mean, they're behind too many programs that Florida State, both in terms of cachet, but also further along in the coaching, you know, process obviously because our guys have been here longer we're behind too many programs you, you don't need to be behind arkansas you can't win anything long term at arkansas arkansas shouldn't be ahead of florida state in recruiting but they are these are things that frustrate me and i think our reason for our fan base to kind of watch all right good job over here all the stuff tom laid bare yeah great job We've got to take a step forward in recruiting. Like, I want to look up and see this as a top 10 class. It should be a top 10 class. You're about to go nine and three. Right. This ought to be a top 10 class. Yeah, I agree. And some of that is out of your control with the NIL game. But I think we're robust enough to be able to handle 11th hour budgets, too. And that's probably something, you know, I know that you're dialed in and you understand what maybe some of the numbers they're working with. I would imagine a piece of the pie is also dedicated to 11th hour change of heart or you know, yeah. I need your final and best offer because that's going to be a part of the game, too. There's a lot of programs in this region that are desperate. And, you know, Miami's going to be one of them. They're going to spend out of desperation now because this season has been a total failure for Mario Cristobal. So those players that they're securing just got more expensive. If I'm still going to go play for you, coach, because I don't love what I'm seeing right now, you got to come with it a little bit more because Mike Norvell and Florida State are offering something. Well, sorry, Rising Spear is offering yes, something. Separate entity. Mike Norvell is offering me a big opportunity, a big opportunity to play there in, in, that, in that dynamic offense. Auburn's going to come with it this offseason. You know they are because they're going to have a brand-new coach. Tennessee is now 
much more in the fold and legitimate when it comes to offensive prospects. So I hope that they've got their ducks in a row when it comes to the collective and the budget continues to swell. I'm assuming that they're going to need some help there. But what is within Coach Norvell's control now and into next year is where do I need to upgrade on staff? Because the stability argument now means when they go to the coaches' convention or they well, talk the biggest to the thing, so they got the, big, the, yeah. the super agent conglomerate that has everybody connected. Now, Florida State is a landing spot for advancement. Mike Norvell will advance you, but the question is, would he have been here long enough to get you to the next step? Now, Florida State is a fertile ground for that as well. So, what happens in the next two months as we talk I think about it's the tough a one? fascinating conversation because it's going to involve having to do something that is extremely difficult to do after a successful season. You know, he is going to have to really sit down, unshackle any emotional connection, and just purely in the interest of the long-term success of trying to win a national championship or go to a college football playoff, he's going to have to ask brutal questions about his staff after they've been successful. Like that's tough to do. If you go nine and three, I'm just going to give you a hypothetical here. Cause I don't know what he thinks and it doesn't, I'm just, this is for the pro- purpose of the show. Say they go nine and three. Well, there's a chance that the defense has another good day on Saturday against Syracuse. That's not a dynamic offense. At some point, you know, probably have another good day against Louisiana. And let's just say, when Florida State, Florida play, Anthony Richardson doesn't feel like running around on that particular day. We've seen Florida nearly lose to USF, aforementioned, who fired their coach and stinks. <laughs> so we, we've seen Florida have some clunkers. If that were to happen, Florida State would finish the season, obviously, on a very, very high note. Their offensive rankings are going to be superb. And if you're just looking at the numbers, the defensive rankings will be pretty damn enticing as well but do you believe you have the right defensive coordinator do you believe you have the right staff on defense to attract elite five-star caliber players at the most important positions on the field because if you don't you may have to let some of those guys go who just helped engineer this nine and three campaign with really good rankings and that is going to be a question regardless of what the final scores are of these games you're going to, you're going to ask yourself, can our defensive coordinator and that staff recruit at an elite level? Well, and it also gets to the fit of a potential replacement as a developer versus as a recruiter. It goes back to the age old, you know, if you've got percentages assigned to what they're best at, right, right. how much can you handle for each new coach that you would bring in if you're going to go that route. But here's the thing. You've got four-plus weeks, everyone on that staff to close and close strong. And remember, I'll take you back to December of last year uh, when there was the high-profile decommitment and then there was the shakiness from Armella when he said, oh, I'm going to wait until – Well, there was a lot of shakiness in that. Maybe some phone calls were made, and by that night on signing day, he was saying, okay, uh, Florida State, it is. But the look in Mike Norvell's eyes and – you could just see it and feel it that, He's oh, really? really? So our own calculations, when I say, be honest with me, are you going to get him? And I get a yes and we don't. Like He's not going to forget about that. that that's part of the bigger picture conversation. But these guys all have a chance in the next month 
to close off of the football field to make it easier to close on the football field. It just, it, I'm glad we're having this conversation because it means that we have satisfied the 60 minutes every Saturday part of the equation, which oh, is course. we're course. a whole lot better. Now you, now you can have this other thing, which is how are we going to get to the next step? The portal isn't always going to bail us out. What will? Good high school recruiting. So that's how you solve for the future. You're brutally honest with yourself about the organization that you have, the good, the bad, and everything in between. And you figure out, even at the end of what may very well be a very successful campaign, do I need to make changes? And we're all going to continue to monitor that. Recruiting is the lifeblood of big-time college football. We all know it. That's my friends at ISF, the very best in collaboration. They want you to do amazing things. You want to do amazing things. You have big visions. You work hard. ISF, an IT strategy firm coming in, helping you solve for the future using strategy, process, and technology. We'll come back, wrap it up in a moment. Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. TV. The Cameron Show is a production of the Warchant.com Multimedia Network. Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk Game, no game at all. Anytime is the right time for Zaxby's platters. Just as long as you're hungry, feed your team with your choice of traditional or buffalo fingers or boneless or traditional wings. If you're having trouble deciding, get the best of both worlds with a sampler platter. And don't forget that world famous Zaxby's sauce. It's delicious. Satisfy your chicken craving with Zaxby's platters. Order online or in the app. Your Tallahassee Zaxby's a proud Golden Chief booster for 17 years. And as always, go Knowles. Final segment of the show. Thanks to my friends at Tallulah, three locations in town, no medical card needed, guys. It's not like that. Premium, legal, cannabis. That's right. CBD, THC, you name it. It's all there. What a great world we live in. Juices, juices that will pick you up. They're effervescent, make you feel better. Don't question it, guys. It's all plant-based. You're okay. It's good stuff at Tallulah. CBD mushrooms. Did I mention mushrooms? They got the shrooms. You're good. You're all good. And you can float around while you're on those shrooms, huh? That's right. Get into the pod. Relax a little bit. We're all feeling better these days. I guess that means the, the the obligatory uh, touchdown touchdown otter. There he is. Yeah. <laughs> cutest thing ever. It is the cutest thing ever. And that's, <laughs> that's six. You're scoring six right there. I'm so happy. It reminds when I see that I uh, I, I picture Coach Gundy, touchdown Cowboys. That's another big play for the Cowboys. <laughs> uh, by the way, that team has fallen off a cliff. Um, 
Oklahoma State, folks, if you're going to look at the uh, lines this weekend, is uh, on quit watch. They've had a couple of very curious results. You know, I, I was wondering, to stick in the Big 12 for just a moment, uh, this line really confused me, and I didn't notice that you play, or I noticed that you didn't play it, but TCU is more than a touchdown underdog to Texas. It's seven and a half. What, what gives there? I don't know. They can't help themselves. I, I think it's that they don't like TCU's defense. Um, and Texas has been playing better, and Bijan Robinson's an all-world player, and they can run the ball. And TCU has struggled some against the run, but I, I, it's, I don't like the the number. I took Texas, uh, excuse me, I took uh, TCU getting seven and a half when yeah. I first saw it. I, I took them with the hook. If I have to bet it, that's where I'll I'll go. Um, I don't. I think that it's the weirdest thing, and I know that I'm probably wrong about this. What I'm about to say, I think I may be wrong, but. For two years, Tom, I think Vegas has some weird blind spot with Texas. They, 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 how many times have they wanted Texas? Or I don't know about Vegas yeah. doesn't want, but people want. They want Texas to be something, and Texas routinely lets people down. That's, I just don't. I don't see it. That's true. However, I would say two massive covers this year: one against Alabama and one against Oklahoma. I mean, so that, that that might be a bit of a trend breaker. But I agree with you on the win totals, the win total yeah. projections. Uh, they're usually awfully optimistic. Like, you know, for us in Florida State, when I saw six and a half, I said, oh, man, that's an undervalue by at least a win. That should have been at seven and a half, I thought, or seven even. But at six and a half, you hit that all day. Texas, you routinely see it at eight and a half, nine and a half. And you're like, really? Well, they do the same thing with Miami. You know, Miami was preseason top 20 this year. AP 16th, I think it was. You had some people. There were people out there who do this for a living that thought Miami could make the playoff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't – that is – that's something. I mean, I was wrong about Miami being uh, – I thought Miami would be better than Florida State. I thought I thought it, before the season began, I thought that that would be a, a hard game for Florida State to win. In fact, when we did our projections, I did not pick, pick Florida State to beat Miami in Miami before the season. Now, everybody logically should do this in their own life. When you get evidence presented to you that runs counter to what you thought, you adjust accordingly. Hence, the reason I picked us to blow Miami out, uh, you know, ten days before that game was even played. But preseason I didn't know this and so I got some things wrong and I got some things right but I too was wrong about Miami but in no world did I think Miami was going to be a, a top 10 team that's just crazy well what makes me nervous about this weekend just in general from a, a, a card and betting standpoint is there are so many strange lines that is Vegas just telling you and and guaranteeing that you are going to have a wacky Saturday like for example we talked about it yesterday and I know we got about 90 seconds to go but a three-and-a-half number for LSU at Arkansas? Really? I mean, you even look mm -hmm. at some of the innocuous games. Vandy, Kentucky is only 18. Louisville-Clemson is seven. I kind of agree with that one. But, I mean, Louisville's unranked, and Clemson is ranked currently number 10 in the country. Uh, there are some other games, too, out here, like TCU and Texas. We talked about that. I think that the Knolls are only seven-point favorites is also strange. There's just a lot of weirdness going on with these spreads in the top 25. And there is one final game that we can all smile about, and that is a battle of who is quitting harder or who is quitting with more gusto than the other. It's Texas A&M and Auburn. That's the game, folks. Who is quitting on their people more? Is it A&M and Jimbo Fisher's guys? Are they quitting at a level that is elite level quitting? 
Is Auburn throwing in the towel? Just fire our coach. What the hell are we playing for? We're getting a new guy in here. Anyhow, who wants to quick harder? Auburn or Texas A&M? It's a two and a half point spread. Could make for a juicy game. Could be zip zip in the fourth. I like I like Auburn in that one. They're playing hard. They played hard for Cadillac last week against Mississippi State. I Same tend to agree. A&M. Yeah. I, I tend to agree. Tend to agree. It's a beautiful thing. All right, Tom. Good work. Thanks, everybody, for watching. We appreciate you. It'll be like this again tomorrow on Alliviations Friday as they continue to revamp the studio and do some things around here, uh, plus uh, the weather and all that good stuff. So that, that's what's going to go on for tomorrow. Uh, hey, listen, be good. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. We'll talk to you. Be safe. Talk to you tomorrow on Alliviations Friday.